0: The text for today is Matthew chapter 7 verses 15 through 20. Uh, That'll be the text for the next couple of weeks. Um, We're going to be focusing mostly on verse 15 today. Just kind of unpacking this idea, giving us some background information, what we need to know. So Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, Jesus is still preaching of course and he says, Beware of false prophets. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And that is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would uh, bless the reading of Your Word. I pray that You would uh, help us to receive this this morning. I pray that Your Spirit would um, soften our hearts. As we're going to read today, that the Word of the Lord is like a fire. It's like a hammer that smashes stones that... Uh, we pray that it would, would break us up where we need to be broken. Um, I pray that you would open the hearts of your people to receive this with gladness. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus. And I pray that you would uh, would teach us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Now those of you who know me best and have been around me uh Often, may have caught on that this idea that we're talking about today, this idea of false prophets, is one of the topics that I'm the most vehement about. I'm I'm, uh, really uh, caught into this this topic. I think this is very important. Um, I personally feel like the topic of false prophets, false teachers, is something that the church should should have and should even now hit head on, but um, it's often a topic that seems to be the most avoided. Um, if you don't know this, we're at a very pivotal point in church history right now. Um, on the one hand, there's this massive resurgence of um, Reformation theology Uh, young people are starting to reach back a little further into history and and study uh, scripture and and be more um, drawn to the ancient Christian faith, which is a good thing. It's it's been called the greatest reformation in church history, not because it's something relatively new, but that at this point where we have social media and internet, the average Christian is, is... is opened up to everything you could possibly imagine, anything you could learn in any seminary, any church history class, anywhere is at your fingertips. It's there, and so this is this is a good thing that this is happening. On the other hand, if you take time to look around and kind of look at the the, the culture, there's another movement that's that has been going on probably since around the 70s, um, and you'll notice that in the larger I would say commercialized, evangelical world. Um, Almost every sermon series or every book that carries the title Christian, these things seem to have been conjured up in the minds of a creative team sitting around a whiteboard somewhere, figuring out how they can best help... The individual person have a a better life or a better finances, better sex life, better spiritual experiences, smaller waistlines um, or achieve their purpose. Uh, It seems like there's no topic that the church, I say church with quotes, the church will not address in order to meet or attempt to meet the felt needs of the individual person. We try to think of every little problem that somebody might have. And figure out how to meet that So it seems like there's no topic that is, that is left untouched Except for the topic of false prophets, false teachers uh, Unbiblical teaching, Bible twisting, mishandling of God's word And this is one of the things that drives me in, in everything that I do Is the fact that I've realized there are a lot of people who have no idea what the Bible really says And so this is it's, it's out there There aren't very many uh, popular pastors, people that people see, public figures. There aren't very many of them anymore who will stand up and name the names of other so-called pastors who prove by weekly pep talks that they're not qualified to stand in front of God's people and open God's word and say, thus says the Lord. They can't say it. Because it's not what he said, so they have to they have to figure find something else to fill up that time, and so it ends up being motivational speeches, pep talks. How can I help you to have better this, better that? Um, something relevant, something quick, something simple, something shallow, something that sits well with everyone. That's generally what you see. Another reason that this topic sits so close at home with me is because in spite of being raised in a Christian home, in spite of being in church my entire life, in spite of being taught properly, and, 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 and it seems like all the ducks were in a row for me, all my cards were laid out, and I have personally still been led away by these types of teachers, these types of books. And God in His mercy has snatched me back, and, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I, I personally believe that we're going to get to heaven someday. We're going to look back and we're going to see that the greatest, most horrific atrocities that were ever done to the bride of Christ were not Christians being wrapped in tar and lit on fire to light the gardens of Nero or wrapped up in nets and thrown into a Colosseum to be tossed around by raging bulls. Because even at least during those times, The real Christians are separated out. The line in the sand is drawn. The greatest atrocities have come when men and women have stood up because they felt like they had something to say. They opened God's word. They read some verses and then they proceeded to say things that led people away from the narrow gate and the hard way. All the while giving the impression that they're preaching God's word. Because hey, at least they read some verses. That's, it's got to be right. And, and, and that's, this is a big deal to me. When I come up here on a Sunday and do this, I don't take this lightly. A lot of people might wonder, why don't you spend 20 minutes telling jokes and, and trying to figure out how to make the, the scripture seem interesting, seem fun. With clever analogies, and it's because my job description is clear. It's laid out. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth as for you always be sober minded endure suffering do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry that's my job description and i have it right here so that i can see it every week i don't feel like i can come to this and and, and add to it or take from it or take away from it or or fluff it up or any i just lay it out rightly divide the word of truth that, that's like a fillet knife cut it open, lay it out for people to see it and so my job is laid out and I don't feel like I can I have an option of how I want to do it or where I want to do it or in what ways because I'm going to give an account for every word that I say when I stand before God someday he's going to say, well you stood in front of my people and you said that I said and I'm going to give an account for that and, and so some people, Think that it's okay to just take a little out here, take a little out there, or or only say this, or only say that. Um, and I don't think that's right. Last week we looked at verses thirteen and fourteen, and we saw that there is a choice that we all have to make concerning Jesus, concerning salvation, concerning the the teaching of this sermon and the kingdom of heaven. It's not enough that we, we read this sermon and we say, Good job, Jesus. Man, you just... I mean, this sermon just... It, it hits every point. Man, you're, you're good. Or, hey, Jesus, we really enjoy your ethic. You know, you just seem to be really on top of things. That's not enough. When you get to the end of it, you have a choice to make. We have to decide which gate we will enter. We have to decide which way we will walk. Ultimately leading us to one of two destinations. Now, I'm going to try to bridge the gap between that... ...and where we're at today. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And He, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers... ...to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So there we learn that Jesus has given to His church... Men with certain giftings and certain abilities, certain skills, certain callings. It gives them to the church as positions of leadership to lead His people, equip His people, so that the body as a whole is built up into a mature man, a mature body, a bride. Jesus has set the structure for how His church, His sheep, will be led During his physical absence. And that is by biblically qualified men. Using the word of God. In the power of the spirit of God. To lead his people. So put these two ideas together. All people have a choice to make. Narrow gate. Or wide gate. Hard way. Easy way. Destruction. Life. You have a choice to make. And then also. Jesus has given people to His church, men to His church, to lead His church to one of those two gates, down one of those two ways, leading to one of two destinations. The problem is that not all of the people who stand in front of God's people and claim to be leading God's people properly are doing so. That's why there are few who find it. Because there are people pointing them, saying, I'm a leader, I'm here to lead, I'm here to pastor, I'm here to shepherd, but they're leading them the wrong way, away from the narrow gate and the hard way, pointing them to the other, more broad way, the easy way that leads to destruction. And so, therefore, we must beware of false prophets. That's what verse 15 says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous Wolves. First word is beware. In English. In Greek, it's the same the same way. First word is beware. That means it's in the emphatic position. The emphasis of this verse is beware. Look out. Pay attention. That's the point he's trying to make. Be on alert. Look around and know what's going on around you. In Jesus' day, and in our day, and every generation between and every generation before, there have been prophets, And here we are warned, clearly, beware of false prophets. So we are without excuse. It's our job as Christians, obedient Bible-believing Christians, to be on guard. Keep our eyes peeled, our ears turned out, our Bibles opened. Whenever someone says, I'm teaching you the Bible, open your Bible. That doesn't mean listen to see if they read something from it. That doesn't mean listen to see if they make a reference to it. That means when they read, you read. And when they say it says something, you read it and say, does it say that? Is it really what it says? You, you compare everything that's being said to the word of God. Watch out. We're commanded to give heed to this topic. So there's no excuse. This is what we have to do. We have to beware. It's our responsibility. Now this idea of false prophets... Needs some background work to it. A foundation lay. That's what I want to do today is is just lay the foundation for this idea of a false prophet. Why do we need to beware? Is it really all that important? Things like that. Um, The title of prophet in scripture, just within the pages of scripture, has several different um, meanings. Uh, A prophet in scripture would have had a couple different jobs. The most widely known and perceived job of a prophet was to tell God's people what God had said about the future. When we hear the word prophet or prophecy, we generally think of predicting the future. Well, a prophet wouldn't predict anything. They just said this is what God said was going to happen. That's a, a prophet. The other job of a prophet, which is usually people don't think about as much, was that the prophet would come and correctly apply God's law, his word, to the people whenever they were living in a way that was contrary to it. So they were breaking God's law, the prophet would come and say, God's law says this, and if you don't do this, there's going to be consequences. So they would apply God's word. The word prophet means to say before or prior to or in front of, to speak in front of. So a prophet, these men in the Old Testament, the office of a prophet would go before the people or in front of the people or before a king and they would say, this is what God has said. And it's written down in the pages of our Bibles and we have their words as God's words. Now, one thing you can bet on. Anytime... God's word comes. God's truth comes. His prophet comes and gives a word. There is going to be a false word. There's going to be a false prophet or prophets that come in addition to this truth. Speaking something else. Speaking something that's untrue. And a great example of this is in the book of Jeremiah. So if you have a Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 6. And this happens in almost all of the prophets. You can see this stuff. But Jeremiah um, is, is the one I picked to... To show this. Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah was sort of like God's last ditch effort to get the people of Jerusalem to repent of their sin before destruction came. And Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Because, you guessed it, because he he wept. He cried a lot. He was weeping. He was broken hearted. He would walk in and out of the city weeping and crying. Begging people to repent. And they wouldn't repent. They would not turn. So Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. And he says it again in chapter 8, the same thing. Jeremiah 6, 13 and 14. From the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. So this is what the false prophets would do. God is sending His prophet in saying, repent, turn from your ways or destruction is coming. And the false prophets would come in and say, everything's fine, peace, we're, we're fine, we're good. It says He would heal the wounds of His people lightly. That is, they would say things to calm them down and make them feel better, but it had no real power. It wasn't true, it was, it was false prophecy. Now turn over to chapter 23 of Jeremiah. Chapter 23, verses 16 and 17. And it says, "...thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually, listen to those who despise the word of the Lord... It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster will come upon you. So these false prophets would go to people who already didn't want to hear the word of the Lord. And they would calm them down, telling them false truths. Things that they wanted to hear. They were talking to people, filling them with vain hopes, empty hopes. There was nothing no, nothing of substance there. They claim to have these visions. God has given me something. I just want to tell you what God has given me. They were speaking to people, it says, who followed their own heart. Which is how all people are apart from Christ. All people, without salvation, follow their own heart. So this is a lost person. Talking to a lost person, telling them what they want to hear. Okay, now, flip over to the book of Ezekiel. A few books over to the... Right? Ezekiel chapter 13. I'm going to read this whole chapter because I want you to get, I want you to see how important this is. The title in my Bible says, False prophets condemned. This is a constant thing in the prophets, is God would speak a word, but there was always somebody else, a false prophet. Ezekiel chapter 13. This says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying and saying to those who prophesy from their own hearts, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins. O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them, and yet they expect Him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God precisely because they have misled my people saying peace when there is no peace and because when the people build a wall those prophets smear it with whitewash say to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall there will be a deluge of rain and you O great hailstones will fall and a stormy wind break out and when the wall falls will it not be said to you where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. When it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord." "'Thus I will spend my wrath upon the wall, and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash. "'And I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it, "'the prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem, "'and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace,' declares the Lord God. "'And you, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people "'who prophesy out of their own minds.' Prophesy against them and say, thus says the Lord God, woe to the women who sew magic bands upon all wrists and make veils for the heads of persons of every stature in this hunt, in the hunt for souls. Will you hunt down souls belonging to my people and keep your own souls alive? You have profaned me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, putting to death souls who should not die and keeping alive souls who should not live by your lying to my people who listen to lies. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against your magic bands and with which you hurt, hunt the souls like birds, and I will tear them from your arms, and I will let the souls whom you hunt go free, the souls like birds." Your veils also I will tear off and deliver my people out of your hand. And they shall be no more in your hand as prey. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Because you have disheartened the righteous falsely. Although I have not grieved him. And you have encouraged the wicked that he should not turn from his evil way to save his life. Therefore you shall no more see false visions nor practice divination. I will deliver my people out of your hand. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, the reason I read all of that is is this. You need to know how big of a deal this is. This is serious. God takes it very seriously when somebody says, God said whatever, or God told me whatever. If He has not said it, He sets Himself against those people. A line in the sand is drawn. They're on one side and God is on the other. In our day, it seems like, if you, if you pay much attention, that every pastor, every church leader, every, every person has been given a vision from God. They have a dream about something. God has told them something. And what that means is, God told me something He didn't tell you. And you have to listen to me. You can't question God, and God's the one who told me, if you question me or you challenge me, you're challenging God, therefore you must be dealt with. Or in other words, thrown under the bus, as Mark Driscoll puts it, or catapulted into the next county, as James McDonald says. If you question what God has given me, you're out. You're out of here. Be gone. Anytime somebody tells you God has said something and they don't have chapter and verse in context, just go ahead and know, probably not from God. Well, what if it is? It don't matter. This is is where we go. This is where we go. God's Word. Does God still speak today? Absolutely. Every single day He speaks. How does He do it? By His Holy Spirit, through His Word. The Bible says, long ago, at various times, and in various ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. That's Old Testament, New Testament. Put it together, Christian Bible. That's, this is how God has spoken. But what about all those times in the New Testament where God would, the Holy Spirit would speak and they would say this and they would say that? It's written down. Those were the words of God in Scripture. This is not a a blueprint for how it's going to always be. This is the Word of God. And He speaks through His Word now, just like He did then. Same words. Speaks to us through His Word. So even in the Old Testament times, the problem of false prophets was rampant. It's always been this way. Anytime God speaks, there's always somebody else who's going to say something different. Now, in the New Testament, the word prophet is used a little differently most of the time. During the lives of uh, John the Baptist through the time of the apostles, it was the same as the Old Testament gift or, or office of prophet. They spoke the words of God. And we have those written down here. After the death of John, the last prophet, on Patmos, that office stopped. We have this idea... Of a, a prophetic gift Anytime somebody stands and, and speaks the word of God From scripture That's similar to prophecy But it's not the same thing It's not the office of prophet It's not the same thing That's why when I finish reading the Bible I say this is God's word that, that concludes the reading of God's word Then my job is to take it and explain it Help you understand it better So it's a little different Now Concerns false prophets in the New Testament Nothing's changed As a matter of fact There aren't very many things in the New Testament That are warned against more than False false prophets and false teachers Um, Matthew 24, 24 This is Jesus talking He says for false Christs And false prophets will arise And perform many great signs and wonders So as to lead astray if possible Even the elect You see that? False prophets will lead away, if possible, even the elect. God chose people before the foundation of the world, and if those prophets could, they would get those people. They would snatch us out of God's hands. And so Jesus warns us beware. Acts 20, 29 and 30, Paul is about to leave Ephesus, and he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So he's warning them, "I'm going to be gone. This is going to happen. Just, just know it's it's going to happen." First Timothy four one. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of teachings of demons. So there are people who says departed. From the faith. That doesn't mean they lost their salvation. That means they were they were a part of us. They were along with us. They seemed like they were one of us. And then they left. And they devoted themselves to false teaching. Teachings of demons. They were here. They started out real close. And then they walked away. Proving themselves to have never been saved. Second Peter chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. So Peter references the Old Testament. False prophets arose just as there will be among you. It's going to be the same. They're going to come in secretly. Some of them will openly teach false things. Many people will follow them. They will be working for greed. And their destruction is not asleep. They're going to, they will be taken care of. God's going to get them. In the book of the Revelation... You read through there, you're going to see a lot of mention of what has been called the unholy trinity that seems to counter our triune God. And in chapter sixteen, thirteen, nineteen, 19, verse 20, and chapter 20, verse 10, we read of the beast and the false prophet. And that false prophet plays the opposite role of Christ, the true prophet of God. Ultimately, this, this false prophet is, the, is a, a, a spiritual uh, symbol symbolization of the essence of all that is spoken falsely to lead people away from worshiping God. So this idea of false prophets is addressed over and over in the entirety of Scripture. From the very beginning, when God said, do not eat of the tree. And Satan came and he said, did God really say? And she said, well he said, if we eat it we'll die. And Satan said... You will not surely die. Truth and a lie. All the way from the very beginning to the very end. When the beast and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. There are false prophets. Leading people away from God. Away from Christ. Away from the narrow gate. Away from the hard way. See, God has chosen to reveal himself in his word. That we have now. Black ink on white paper. And because the nature of the written word and the spoken word are so easily falsified. We can type out anything. We can say anything. We can even make movies that look like we're watching with our own eyes. Things that we know aren't really happening. It, this is just the nature of it. And people are easily deceived. This is the nature of the spoken and the written word. It's just so easy to, to lead people away. So what is it that makes these false prophets, false teachers, false? We've already seen in the Old Testament these examples where they would have these these false dreams, false visions. They would tell lies. And today, the same thing is still going on. What what else might we we, uh, be on the lookout for? How how do we prepare ourselves? What are we looking for? When we're looking for a false prophet, what, what should we take notice of? Well, he says... Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now the analogy here is taken from an understanding of God's people as His sheep. The flock. We are the sheep. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me and they will hear my voice. Those of us who are pastors are just under shepherds, under Christ. The word pastor means shepherd. So he shepherds me, and then I kind of shepherd a smaller flock under his authority. So Jesus says, "False teachers will come in in sheep's clothing. That is to say, they will come in and they will look like us. They will be they will be soft and familiar. They seem to fit in. They'll seem to be a part of our fold. They're like us. Talk like us. Dress like us. Look like us. They just they're one of they're one of us outwardly, but inwardly he says they're ravenous." Wolves. There's no greater enemy to a sheep than a wolf Sheep, and this is not a very pleasant thought That we're talked about as sheep in scripture But sheep are dumb, sheep are skittish Sheep are nervous, they're easily scared Sheep aren't even good at running away from danger They have no defense mechanism whatsoever Except be fluffy, that's it That's all they can do It's not, very, it's not a flattering image of ourselves in Psalm 23 when he says he makes me lie down in green pastures, that's because sheep are so skittish and nervous that they don't even want to rest. And Jesus comes along and makes us, gives us that rest. But there, there, there's no greater enemy to a sheep than a wolf. Wolves come in to attack sheep for food. And the word ravenous describes this perfectly. It, it's two ideas put together. Violent and greedy. They come in to get what they want and they are violent while doing it. They destroy and they ravage. They come in hungry and they leave a bloody mess when they're done. That's a wolf. And this is how Jesus tells us that false prophets will come. Outwardly, like one of us. They look like one of us. Inwardly, the ravenous wolf. So how does this help us know what to look out for? It doesn't. We don't know what to look for. That's the point. A cardinal mark of a false teacher from every time and every place in history is that they are nice. They are gentle. They they have attractive personalities. They give the impression that they're for you and want to help you and want to encourage you. But inside they're ravenous wolves. Sometimes they know that they're ravenous wolves. Sometimes they don't. Think about it. Turn on the television, turn on TV, and there's this guy. He's mean looking, angry talking, hateful looking. He begins to preach and he says, Look, listen here, all you losers. Follow me, listen to me, do what I say. I'll make sure that we all get to hell in a handbasket, and I'll make sure that you're miserable while we're trying to get there. Who's following that guy? Nobody. Nobody's going after that guy. Nobody is answering the call to destruction. Nobody is willingly signing up saying, Conscious eternal torment, count me in. Nobody's doing that. Nobody's signing up for God's eternal wrath. The wide gate and the easy way don't have a sign that says, Hell. That's the whole point of this section. It's about warning people about the judgment that it's coming. It is about preparing people... About a choice that they have to make in the midst of conflicting messages. Two different things coming at you. One is right, one is wrong. and, And how are you going to choose? So the false prophet is not going to rise up and gain a following by announcing, just want to let everybody know, I have invented this new destructive heresy. And it takes away cardinal truths of scripture. It denies some of the foundational doctrines. But just trust me, it's false. And you should follow me anyway. That's not how it happens. They come in... And they look like us. They talk like us. They sound like us. They seem to be sincere. We wouldn't have to worry. We wouldn't have to be aware about the people who stand up and say, I'm a false prophet or wear a shirt that says false prophet. We don't have to watch out for those guys. Hopefully, we're, we're mature enough where we can point them out from a mile away. Okay? There, there are just some that are like that. But then These types of false prophets, they look like sheep, but they're ravenous wolves. Now, we live in an age of consumerism. Everything in our world, from the government to large corporation to small business, is operated and driven by the dollar. That's why, to run for president, you have to have a certain amount of money. And there are large corporations who have people who fund this type of thing. Now, this idea that the the money drives everything that's happening has crept into the Christian world. I wish it weren't so, but that's just the way businesses work. In a society where people are drawn to schemes that tickle their ears and make them feel good. And at the same time, money makes the big decisions. Even the evangelical Christian world has been infiltrated by this mindset. And if you don't believe me, go to any Bible bookstore. Go to the Christian section at Barnes & Noble or Walmart. And look at the garbage that is sold under the guise of Christian. Look at the the the. the, the Publishing companies, the names of all of the bestsellers, all these things are driven. There are large corporations, there are chief executive officers who make money just like any business. They call the shots on what is sold and what is not sold. What is promoted and what's what's going to bring in the dollar and what is not going to bring in the dollar. And the sad thing is that those who profess to be Christians... Either aren't truly Christians, but I think that's probably one of the biggest problems is false converts. But then th- there's another group that I believe there really are Christians. They're just not smart enough to tell the difference. Nobody has taught them properly so that they can say, that's, that's bull. That's nonsense. They, they don't know the difference between biblical doctrine, biblical theology, teaching from scripture and just the latest self-help manual. Because they look at the Bible as a self-help manual. this is uh, they, they see Scripture as a bunch of stories that were given to show me how to live right. And so, of course, it's going to show me in there how to lose weight, how to better my sex life, how to discover my purpose, how to discover the winner inside of me, how to make every day a Friday, how to have my best life now. They think that this is what this book is about. And it's not what Scripture is about. Just because somebody has... A Bible verse or something in a book. That doesn't make it Christian theology. It's easy to have Bible words without Bible books and Bible context. So, this kind of stuff is put out based on contracts, revenue. It's driven by money. And it works. Because most Christians aren't properly taught scripture where they can know right from wrong like that. And so it works. They buy these things up by the dozens. My desire for you guys is that you would know. You study the word, you know it so well you can say that's nonsense. Come on. The Daniel plan, really? The book of Daniel was written to show me how to lose weight. Really? It's nonsense. That's what I want for you guys. Now, maybe your personality is different than mine. Most if you know me at all, you know I'm I'm kind of a I mean this this cup right here is is one third. Empty. Okay, that's usually how I am. Um, maybe you have a different personality. You're more positive and you think, man, we just got to, come on, lighten up. Let's just give people the benefit of the doubt. And I just have two points of thought for that, if that's what you're thinking. First of all, since when do preachers who claim to be speaking the word of God get the benefit of the doubt? When, when did that happen? At what point in history did God change His mind from "I am against them, I will destroy them" to "Come on, guys, lighten up"? Just give them the benefit of the doubt. When did that change? Where in Scripture were the reins loosened, where people could could? There, there's room for error. It's it's okay if you make a certain mistake as long as there's some good, as long as there's some positive. Since when do shepherds say, "Let's then let, let a couple wolves in here"? I mean, at least they're fluffy. At least they're they're pretty. They're God's creatures. I mean, look at the shiny, sharp teeth. Let them in. Give them the benefit of the doubt. We don't do that. In Deuteronomy 18, 20, it says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. That doesn't sound like giving the benefit of the doubt. Now, notice... There are two different groups there. There's people who speak in the name of other gods, obviously pagan. But then there's people who just say things in the name of God that He hasn't said. Now, we, don't, we live under a different economy. This is not a theocracy where God is ruling His people and, and, rule, and mediating His rule in the world over a government so we can't inflict corporal punishment on people and kill people. But God has not changed. His opinion about false teaching hasn't changed. It still, the offense is... Still severe. So there's there's no room for benefit of the doubt. Let's just find the good. That doesn't make any sense. Okay? Second one, notice again the point of emphasis in verse 15 beware. Look out. Pay attention. Warning. How many other beware signs do you see and say, well, just give the benefit of the doubt? You see a beware of dog sign. Do you walk up and say, come on, man, just give it the benefit of the doubt? It's a dog. You see, beware of electric shock. Come on, just touch it. Just grab the wire. Give it the benefit of the doubt. I mean, somebody worked hard to put all... You don't do that. Beware of vehicle traffic. Well, I'll just walk out in front of this car. Give it the benefit of the doubt. I like these kind of cars. It's my favorite color. It's even a hybrid. There's no way this car could hurt me. Just give it the benefit of the doubt. We We don't think this way. This is not how we operate anywhere else... So then why would we come to the guidance of our eternal souls down the narrow path of the easy path and say, let's just give it the benefit of that. Let's just find the good. You can find the good in anything. Okay, Hitler loved his mom. So we just say, oh no, he's a good person. Well, no, we don't do that. That's just some, some points for consideration. Now, some people will hear this kind of thing and they'll say, oh, he just wants people to stop listening to everybody else and listen to what he has to say so that he can be... Something lifted up, popular, whatever it is. And there's, there's one thing that I can promise you guys at this point. If this ever changes, you guys make sure that I don't have this job anymore. But this is how, this is what I can promise you. I have nothing, I've said it over and over, I have nothing new to say. If, on any given Monday, Tuesday, sometimes even Thursday, if it's... If I've not been very diligent, you will find me referring to anywhere from 8 to 15 different commentaries. Studying Greek and Hebrew original languages, which I'm really not very familiar with. So I'm still relying on what everybody else has said. Reading, listening to, uh, watching, all kinds of different sermons on every single passage I preach on. So if there's anything that I'm promoting with this job, it is all these other men who have done all this work before me. That's what I want you to see is I have nothing new. A Bible preacher has nothing new. If he he says I've got some new thing or, you know, God showed me something this week. No. There's nothing new. My job is to point you to Christ. And if that means you spend most of your time watching somebody else preach during the week, if they're preaching the Bible, please do it. Do it. Be after it. I try It may not seem like it, but I really do try really hard to not care what anybody thinks about how I do this job except for Jesus, my Lord and my God. I have my job description and my desire is to do that to the best of my ability through His power. And and so, so what do I gain from this? My goal is that someday... All of us and whoever else may join themselves with us. We're going to walk up to Jesus someday face to face. And I'm going to walk and I'm going to say, Jesus, these are the people that you entrusted to me. There may not be very many of them, but they are here because they loved you more than anything else in the world. They wanted you. And so I'm going to continue to do what I've always done is point you to the Lord. Just like John the Baptist. He had a baptism ministry. He had followers. And then there came a time when his disciples said... The people are going to him. Some of our people are going to him. And John said, "Go, go after him. I'm the, I must decrease; he must increase. Go after him." He didn't say, "Well, that bugs me that somebody's you know has a ministry that's growing faster than mine." That wasn't the point. It was to point people to Christ, and so that's my goal. That's what I have to gain by all of this. So, what's the the motivation behind this? I want you to kind of see my, my heart on... You know, say, why are you so vehement about this? Why do you care so much about false teaching and all the, the nonsense that's out there? Just put the negative out of your mind and just focus on the good. Well, if we go back to Acts chapter 20, which we read a little bit earlier before, we see the ultimate motivation behind this type of, this type of thing and, and for my concentration on it. Before Paul said that fierce wolves would come in to attack, not sparing the flock, he gave this command... Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. See, this is not so much about just making sure you know the truth. That's big, that's important. You should know that. Jesus said, Sanctify them in the truth, thy word is true. That's how you grow. That's how you become more like Christ, is by knowing the truth. But that's not the main point. And it's not even the fact that I want you to find the narrow gate in the hard way. That's important. That's not the main point. The main drive behind this type of teaching and this topic is that Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, died on a cross... And the blood that He shed on the cross was what God required to be paid in order to redeem the church of God. Jesus died for His church. He bought back His bride. He died for the elect. And this is a local expression of that universal bride that God has entrusted unto the elders of this church to lead and to guide. And it's the same... same, Warning or same admonition. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. You guys might feel open to the benefit of the doubt, and you might be really positive thinking people. But I can't do that because I'm the one that's going to give an account for you. I can't just let anything in and say, "Oh yeah, go for it." You just, you know, just read the book. You'll know there are some th- some things in there. You're going to know. You're just going to know. But for the most part, no, I can't do that. I want you to be kept and I want to pay attention because Jesus died for you Jesus bought you he redeemed you and he has given you under my care so how do we tell who the false prophets are we'll see that next week but until then be diligent in your studies. If you don't know what, what books to read, just read this one. If you're kind of wondering, well, should I not? Should I, just when you finish this one, just buy another one of these and just read it again. Still wondering. Man. Pay attention. Be diligent. Men, lead your families. Pastor your families. We have a, a new website up. I showed you some of this. Some of you guys this. We have a new website up. There's a tab that says resources. Click resources. Get to the bottom. Oh there it says, it says uh, Helpful links, I think. Yeah, helpful links. Click on that. And there's just a list of different website links you can go to. All kinds of stuff. uh, Books, sermons, conference messages, just articles, just stuff to... To, to read, to spend your time. If you're going to spend hours staring at a screen, benefit yourself from it. All of the, the little places that I go to just spend my time and I just stare and read and all this stuff, it's there. All kinds of stuff. It's just so that you can be diligent in your studies because I want to make sure you guys have everything I have. That's, that's the point. I don't want to be up here, you know, just leading a bunch of dumb sheep and saying, just take my word for it. I want you to know. I want you, to be, I want you guys to be able to come to me and say, look, you said something. I really got a question because it sounded like you might have, have some issues with the, you know, I don't know, the, the deity of Christ here and the, the roles of the, the person of the Trinity or something. Come to me and argue with me about that so we can get this stuff clear. I don't want you to be dumb sheep. I will do my best to watch out for you and care for you and, and pay attention. But we have to all beware of false prophets. This is written to us all. Beware of false prophets problems. So let's pray and we'll be dismissed.